Welcome to It's Time, the daily teaching ministry from the River Christian Fellowship in Twin Falls, Idaho. On today's episode of It's Time, we'll listen to Senior Pastor Mike Kessler as he teaches in the book of 2 Samuel. This book is especially important as it focuses entirely on the life of King David, the line of Christ. Examining the triumphs and troubles of David, we can learn a lot about being a person after God's own heart. With the timely study on 2 Samuel, here's Pastor Mike. If you have your Bibles, I'd like to invite you to open them to the book of 2 Samuel. We're going to continue looking at uh, the life of David. We find now David um, actually begins his ascent to the throne, you might say. Uh, We remember Saul had been killed in the battle with the Philistines. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to study your word tonight. We ask you now that your Holy Spirit would just inspire these words, God, that we would remember your principles and those things, God, that you have for us. And so, Lord, we ask you now that these things would go into our heart and we would remember them. And, Lord, we would draw upon them. Lord, they would strengthen us. In Jesus' name, amen. We remember that uh, this um, Amorite came to um, Saul and um, Saul spoke to him and said, kill me. This is what the Amorite said. And so he took um, Saul's crown and he took his uh, bracelet, you might say, and brought him to David. And so David now has possession of the crown and of the, of the bracelet. Uh, he thought he was going to gain some points by telling David that he had killed Saul. And of course, David didn't see it that way and had this kid killed. Now, whether the kid was making up the story, we don't really know. Or as, as a matter of fact, if it happened as, it, as we ended uh, chapter, uh, the last chapter of uh, 1 Samuel, where it says that he fell on his own sword because he, did, he was wounded. He didn't want to fall into the hands of the Philistines. And so now that Saul is dead, now there is this internal battle within the country uh, for their king. Everybody evidently must have known, as we'll read on, there's evidence uh, from what Abner says that everybody knew that David was really crowned to be the next king uh, over Israel. But of course, um, there's always somebody that tries to do something to kind of stop what God wants. And so uh, chapter 2, verse 1, it starts off and it says, It happened after that David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up to any of the cities of Judah? Now at this particular time, we remember that David was still uh, living in the land of the Philistines. We remember that David, because he had actually been chased out of his own country, Saul was always trying to kill him, that David now is living on the other side of the border uh, in a place where Saul would not come and try to catch him and kill him. And so now we find David inquiring of God, saying, God, what should I do? Now, friends, again, we find early in Saul's reign that he began to call on the Lord, and that's always wise to do that in any battle plan, is to call on the name of the Lord. You know, any battle that you have in the Lord is bigger than you. And so you always have to go to God for God's battle plan to show you what you need to do because if you try to operate on your own cunning and craftiness, you're always going to lose. And so God has a way of doing these things. And again, God is the one that gives us the path and the plan to bring about what he wants. So it says that he inquired of the Lord saying, shall I go up to any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, go up. And David said, where shall I go up? And he said to Hebron. Now, there's a lot of question on how did God speak to David like this. Uh, it may very well been that um, he may have inquired with a priest 
and maybe something called the Urim and Thurm. We don't really know exactly what it was, but they presume it possibly was a, a sack that had a white stone and a black stone in it. And um, uh, they would pray and then reach in and pull out a stone. And if it was a white stone, it was a yes. And if it was a black stone, it was a no. And they just basically trusted God to have them pick right. We don't exactly know how this was, or maybe it was an audible voice. I don't know. The Bible here doesn't tell us how he exactly said, but with this Urim and Thurim thing that they were oftentimes would use, um, or and they would oftentimes um, uh, have the priest come with his ephod and his covering and and, and do this. Um, uh, you know, should I go up? Yes. Should I go to you know one of the cities of Israel? No. Should I go to this one? Should I go to this one? Should I go to Hebron? Yes. Okay. Well. So David went up there, and his two wives also, Ahinoam and also Abigail. And David brought up the men who were with him, every man with his household, so they dwelt in the cities of Hebron. Now the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah, and they told David, saying, The men of Jebeth-Gilead were the ones who buried Saul. And so David sent messengers to the men of Jabeth-Gilead and said to them, You are blessed of the Lord, for you have shown this kindness to your Lord, to Saul, who have buried him. And now may the Lord show his kindness and truth to you. I also will repay you for this kindness, because you have done this thing. Now therefore, let your hands be strengthened, be valiant, for your master Saul is dead, and also the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. Now, we remember that uh, they uh, found Saul uh, beheaded, or actually they beheaded him, and they took his body and they uh, tied it to a wall uh, in one of the Philistine cities. And so uh, word got back to the nation of Israel. And so a couple of the guys who were pretty bold decided to go cut Saul's dead body down uh, from being humiliated. And they took it and they buried it. Uh, and so again, that was a type of uh, we talked about this last time we were together. Not burying somebody when they're dead is a type of humiliation, especially as a public spectacle. Uh, we found it uh, there with the Philistines concerning Saul's body. We also find it, interestingly enough, in the book of Revelation concerning the two prophets. Uh, and uh, finally, they're allowed to die. God's purpose for them is done. And the Bible says that they lay in the streets of Jerusalem for three days until there's a voice from heaven that says, come up here. And it says they stand on their feet and ascend into heaven. And it says the whole world sees it. And so up to the time of, we might say, satellite television, that was not possible. But um, uh, evidently the whole world sees it. The Bible says they do. And, uh, but their purpose was to leave them laying in the streets of Jerusalem for three days uh, as public humiliation. Uh, but then uh, again, uh, God raises them up and brings them to heaven. And most people believe, by the way, those two prophets are uh, Enoch and Elisha. You have one before the flood. You have one after the flood. Uh, one for sure is Elijah. It says that Elijah will come before the great notable day of the Lord. And Enoch uh, is one who was before the flood who saw the wickedness uh, of the last judgment. And so you have somebody from the last pre-world judgment, you might say before the flood, you have somebody after the flood as arises in judgment, uh, judging the generation during the tribulation period in which all these things break out upon the earth. So it's pretty interesting uh, what we find, but uh, David rewarded these guys by saying, you've done bravely and you've done well, and so here's a blessing from the Lord for you, and so he blesses them. But uh, Verse 8, but Abner who is literally the first cousin of Saul, the son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, took Isbaneth, the son of Saul, and brought him over to Hamanahim, 
and made him king over Gilead, over the Asherites, over Jezreel, over Ephraim, over, the, over Benjamin, literally over all of Israel. And so here um, uh, Abner uh, takes um, Saul's other son, not Jonathan, but his other son, and makes him king over all of Israel. Now, again, as we'll read on, we'll find that Abner actually knew that David was supposed to be the next king over Israel. But it's interesting, there's always somebody trying to frustrate the plans of God. And this certainly was the case with uh, uh, him taking Isbeneth uh, to do this. And um, literally, his name means Baal shame, and, and, and uh, makes him king over, uh, over Israel. So actually, David is ruling over Judah, uh, and we'll see, and we have Isbeneth, Saul's son, reigning over the 11 other tribes of Israel. And so it says, at that time, David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah. Uh, he was there seven years and six months. So um, what you see here now is you see that David didn't come to the throne immediately over all of Israel. He was king over the tribe of Judah for seven years and six months, but the rest of Israel had Isbeneth over them. Now, I believe this is interesting because I believe David could have whipped up on Isbeneth real easy. But you know, I believe that David was simply allowing God to do his work. And sometimes, friends, you got to give God time to do what he wants to do. God does not operate on our time schedule. I get impatient with God. I think, well, God, come on, get with it. And the problem is, is because we think or know that because God's all-powerful can do anything, what's the delay? Why is he taking so long? And, and, and this may be entered into your own life and your own questions, why God is taking so long, perhaps to do something in your life that you really don't know why. And, and, and you know, sometimes we, we misinterpret that and, and, and say, well, God, you're taking such a long time. One of two things. You don't hear my prayers or two, you don't care. And I think a lot of times people think that in their lives. I think that, that they think because God does not give them an immediate answer that somehow God hasn't heard their prayer. We remember there's three answers that God always gives. And every time you look at a stop sign, you can, you can remind them. Red, wait, or, or, or stop. Two, wait on the Lord. Or three, green, go. But God will always give you an answer. Now, it may not always be the answer we want because a lot of times I'm impatient. I always want my prayers to be yes. Now, the Bible says the reason why our prayers aren't always yes is because the motive of why we're asking for them is wrong. Because the Bible says we want to consume them upon our fleshly lusts. And again, friends, you can see this in how you know that God will not answer your prayer and how God will move to another individual or person who will do his will because the other person is asking because of their own selfishness and their own greed. And God will take care of that. And God will, God will put that down. So it's interesting here that David, simply seven and a half years, uh, king over Judah, is just waiting on the Lord, just waiting to see what's going to happen. Uh, first of all, he prayed to just see if he should go up in the first place. Well, it says in verse 12, Now Abner, the son of Ner, the servants of Ishbaneth, the son of Saul, went out from, from Mahananim to Gibeon. And Joab, the son of Zurah, the servants of David went out and met them by the pool of Gibeon, and they sat down one side of the pool and on the other side of the pool. So you have a group of Saul's men, or you might say Isbenus men, on one side of this, this pond, you might say. And on the other side is David and his 
guys. I, mean, I shouldn't say David himself, but his guys are on the other side. I mean, you have these two commanders of these armies. You have Abner representing Isbeneth and Saul's family. You have Joab representing David and his guys. And so they did this little, this little winner-take-all kind of thing. You know, they were all out there, and so Abner said to Joab, let the young men now arise and compete before us. And Joab said, let them arise. So they were going to, you know, you know, if this was on television in those days, it was going to be the big wrestling match, <laughs> you know, or something. That's kind of, I think, what they were trying to do. But notice what happens here. So they arose and went over by number, 12 from Benjamin, followers of Isbeneth, and 12 from the servants of David. And each one grasped his opponent by the head and thrust his sword into the opponent's side, and they fell down together. Therefore, the place of that field, uh, that place is called Field of Sharp Swords, which is in Gibeon. Uh, no doubt. So they had this kind of, they grabbed each other by the head and they were just chopping each other up. So there was a fierce battle that day, and Abner and the men of Israel were beaten before the servants of David. Now the three sons of Zurah there, Joab, Abishai, and Ashel, and Ashel was on his feet as like a wild gazelle. This guy could really run. You know, there's just some people that just got it. You know, you see them sometime compete in the Olympics. And you see them uh, in just the way they can travel. Well, this was one of these guys, and it was one of these sons. Well, notice it says, Ashiel pursued Abner. And he was going, and he did not turn to the right hand or to the left hand from following Abner. So as Abner is running, Abner no doubt has much of his corporal kind of uh, uh, armament on. Ashiel's a runner, and he's running after him. Now, you know, sometimes... It always pays to have an objective when you're running. I don't know what Ashiel thought he was going to do when he caught Abner. Because I think probably from the way we read it here, it seems like the reason why Ashiel could run faster than, than, uh, than Abner was probably he didn't have a, maybe a lot of the equipment on because of how, as we'll read on in a few minutes here, how Ashiel dies. Uh, and, and so it would tell me that he didn't have a lot of the armament on that he should have had. Now, again, friends, I think that we can pursue our enemy. And now, believe me, every one of us, if you're a Christian, you have a real-life enemy. But, but again, to be fit for the battle when you go against the enemy, I think, is a very important thing. And oftentimes, because we may have maybe a relative or something else that is very powerful, you might say, in David's army doesn't mean necessarily that that negates our responsibility to be prepared for battle. A lot of times we say, well, my mom and my dad are Christians, and so therefore, you know, that just that cosmic ooze just kind of falls all over me too. Well, friends, that's not what we find here. In fact, we find that he continues to chase Abner. Now, Abner's a powerful man, and he's basically, again, the captain of Isbeneth, or Saul's family's army. And so it's noteworthy here that Abner looked behind him and said to him, are you Ashiel? And he said, I am. Now, no doubt the reason why he knew that was either because he could maybe recognize him a little bit or just simply by the way he ran. But whatever it was, it says, then it says, Abner said to him, 
turn aside to your right hand or to your left and lay hold on one of the young men and take his armor for yourself. But Asher would not turn aside from following him. He'd say, look, you know, go chase somebody else. Because again, he knew who he was. And he knew that if he killed him, that there would be a vengeance and there would be problems. There's just certain people you don't do that to. And, and so Abner knew because of the prominence of Joab and his other, his other brother that this would be a real problem down the line if he was to do something to him. So here we find Abner, and, and uh, kind of interesting, warning Ashel, don't follow me. Uh, turn to the side, go somewhere else. And so Abner said again to Asheril, turn aside from following me. Why should I strike you to the ground? How then could I face your brother Joab? So this is exactly the reason why. He was afraid of a vengeance by this family against him because he recognized he didn't maybe care so much about Asheril, but he did care about Joab, who was a mighty man. Now, friends, again, I look at this in a very interesting light here because, again, you always want to remember, first of all, if you're going to go into battle, go into battle prepared. You don't want to go into battle ill-prepared. We studied in Proverbs, it says, by wise counsel, make war. Don't go into a battle that you're not prepared to win. And so we find here that, that Ashiel is running after this powerful man. He's running after, a, you might say, a general, if you will, and evidently, he didn't have any way to even bring him down. He, it's, in fact, it's noteworthy here. He says, go attack one of the younger men and get their armament. So evidently, he was an unarmed person. He was just running after his enemy. Now, I, I sometimes see people do that. They go into battle in spiritual things, and they're not prepared for it. Now, now listen, you don't have to go looking for a battle of the devil. That'll come to you as a Christian. But I believe, again, as, as, as a person, when we, we are going to be up against certain things, all the way through the Bible, if you live righteously in Jesus Christ, you're going to have a battle, friends. You just are. Uh, Jesus said uh, that they did it to him, they're going to do it to you. And you read in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, all the things that the Apostle Paul went through, all the battles that he went through. You see, again, he was prepared for the battle because of his relationship with God. Otherwise, he would have given up. When you're a day, he said he was shipwrecked and a day and night in the deep. You say, well, I'm just giving up. This ain't worth it. Listen, the battle is worth it. There's always the devil trying to talk you out of standing your ground. Listen, the devil, you've, you've taken dirt from the devil and the devil wants it back. So what's the, how does he do that? How does he, how does he drag you back, destroy you? He simply studies you to find out how to attack you. Now here it's interesting. He ran into battle. He wasn't prepared. Look what happens next. So Abner said to him, turn aside from falling. Why should I strike you to the ground? Verse 23, however, he refused to turn aside. Therefore, Abner struck him in the stomach with the blunt end of the spear so that the spear came out his back and he fell down there and died on the spot. And so that was, so it was that many as came to the place where Asheel fell down and died, stood still. They couldn't believe that this, it would be like somebody of great notoriety in our society today, some one of the relatives of the president or something like that, somebody that was well-known. 
And they went, whoa, you know. And so as he's running, he just, he just poked him back, not with the sharp end, but with the blunt end. Gotta hurt. Anyway, he was skewered, you might say. Fell down and died right there. Joab and Abishai also pursued Abner. And the sun was going down, and they came to the hill of Ahama, which is before Gaia, and the road in the wilderness of Gibeon. Now the children of Benjamin gathered together behind Abner and became as a unit, and they stood on on top of the hill. And Abner called to Joab and said, Shall the sword devour forever? Do you not know that it will be a bitter in the latter end? How long will it be then until you tell the people to return from pursuing their brethren? This is always a difficult thing because basically what you have here is the the, the beginning, you might say, of the Civil War. And uh, it's real interesting that in our own Civil War uh, in, 18, in, in the 1860s that uh, there was many relatives who were fighting against each other. Depending on what side of the Mason-Dixon line you were on, depend on what you fought for. And so there was many relatives and families and households that were divided, um, and so it's a very difficult uh, war. And so uh, Abner calls out to Joab and says this. Then Joab said, verse 27, As God lives, unless you had spoken, surely then by morning all the people would have given up pursuing the brethren. So Joab blew a trumpet, and all the people stood still and did not pursue Israel anymore, nor did they fight anymore. Now, again, when it uses the word Israel here, it's talking about those that were loyal to Ishbaneth and, and Saul's family. So he says, Then Abner and his men went on that night through the plain, crossed over into the Jordan, and went through Britain, uh, Brighton and uh, Bithron, excuse me, and came to Mahanamin. And so Joab returned from pursuing Abner. And when they had gathered all the people together, they were missing of David's servants, 19 men and Asiel. The servants of David had struck down of Benjamin and Abner's men, 360 men who died. So you see, he lost 20 men. And you see 360 uh, of uh, Saul's guys, which would indicate that there is something going on here. I think that, um, uh, again, you see, begin to see the hand of God uh, playing out here. So they took up Ashiel and buried him in his father's tomb and went to Bethlehem. And Joab and his men went all night and they came to Hebron at daybreak. Now there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. But David grew stronger and stronger, and the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. This is uh, generally uh, what you find um, in anybody that's even uh, turned their back on God. Uh, Those that walk in the Lord, they get stronger and stronger in the Lord. And those that kind of shine the Lord on, they get weaker and weaker. You know, there's a time, I, I don't know if you've ever done this, but you know, like if you ever ran out of gas in a car, and you try to coast to the gas station, maybe I'm the only one that does this, but uh, I've done that before. And you're kind of, you know, kind of scrunching in your seat, hoping you'll get another couple inches. Um, you know, uh, you, you look at that. There's a momentum that will continue for a while. And then that momentum runs down. And I believe what, what you see here is you see the momentum that was there, but then it begins to run down because the anointing of God is gone and that which fuels the fire is no longer there. 
And so, again, that's why a lot of people, uh, when they backslide on the Lord, they go, well, I'm still doing okay. I'm still trucking. Yeah. But the problem is they're on the coast and they're on their way down. And that's Pastor Mike Kessler, Senior Pastor at the River Christian Fellowship with Second Samuel on It's Time. If you'd like to have your own copy of today's episode, you can obtain one for free from the daily iTunes podcast. If you want a hard copy, you can give us a call at 800-357-4226 to place your order. And while you do that, don't forget that 2 Samuel is part two of the first and second Samuel series available from the River Christian Fellowship. Please tune in next time for another relevant Bible study on It's Time. Yeah.